Welcome to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margot Jaco. Are you a clinician looking to find the balance between providing compassionate client care and business agility? This show will help with things you need to know to start or grow your practice and better serve your clients. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. So glad you're with us and very glad, as always, to have our fabulous producer, Chris Pertel, and Deanna Shoss of Intercultural Talk, who is our marketing guru and also our co-host. Hi, Chris. Hi, Deanna. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Marga? Hi, Marga. Good. Hi, Always good to spend time with you. Yeah, you too. Well, and we do seem to spend a fair amount of time together, which is a good <laughs> thing. The three of us do hang out, I think, quite a bit. So today we're going to talk about things that you, the listener, might need to know if you're wanting to grow a practice. So lots of folks have started their own practice during COVID. They've either gone out on their own. I, I can't tell you the number of calls I get from practice owners who are trying to figure out how are they going to make a practice work? How are they actually going to grow it in a sustainable way? Some folks got out of the gate and then realized, wait a minute, I didn't have a plan. So we're going to talk about a few things today that are essential for a practice owner to know so that the practice can grow and grow well, right? I used to, um, I remember I had this, I had an office where I had one plant and it was kind of this tall, skinny, anemic looking corn plant. And the reason that it was tall and skinny and anemic is because it grew too fast and I didn't tend to it properly. It grew too quickly and it looked really goofy. It never quite looked right. So we're going to try to keep you from having your practice look like a corn plant. How's that for an analogy, Deanna? What do you think? That sounds good. I'd even go a step further. What would have happened if you outsourced watering your plant? <laughs> well, back then I didn't have the money, so it would have dried up and blown away. So it would have snapped in half. But you know, that's yeah. a good spot to start though, because part of growing a practice has to do with realizing, you know, as you've even said yourself, you can't do it all yourself. How do you know when to outsource? And my guess is it's probably easy to always say that, oh, I'm not ready. I don't have the money. So let's start there with not being able to do it all and outsourcing. How do you decide when you're ready to do that? Because that seems like a critical thing to be able to grow. Yeah, it, it is critical. And in the consultation I do with other practice owners, this is probably the number one conversation that we have. They are, like I was at one point, the chief cook and bottle washer. They did everything. They do, they're doing the billing or they're having their team do the billing, which I never think is a good idea, but that's, you know, it's a personal decision. They are doing the marketing. They're, they're doing everything. They're seeing a whole caseload of clients. They're writing the blog posts. They're, try, they're trying to do it all. And what they're finding is, you know, right now, I think a lot of folks are busy, but we want to be setting people up. We, as practice owners, we want to be set up so that this is a sustainable growth trajectory. Not that we come flying out of the gate really strongly, because I don't think this current trend is going to last forever, just having done this for three decades plus. I don't think that clients falling out of the sky is going to happen forever. So the practice owner really being thoughtful about what they need to do to be working on the business, not just in the business, and I'll explain that a little more in a minute, is critical. Well, why don't I do that right now? So we were just having this conversation a few minutes ago. 
about Michael Gerber, who talks about how important it is for any business owner to work in on the business, not just in the business. So for example, right, if you think about a bakery owner, and if the bakery owner is the one who is doing all of the marketing, baking all of the pies, selling all of the pies, how are they going to handle opening a new location? How are they going to handle bringing people on and training them? There's no time. So his point is, we as owners need to make sure that we carve out time, dedicated time, where we're working on the business. We're doing the things that make the business run. And that doesn't include things like billing. That doesn't mean you're working on the business. You're still working in the business. You're just doing a different function. On the business means growth and development and strategy. So one of the things I would like you to think about, practice owners out there, is how you can be shifting from being the chief cook and bottle washer to being more of, and I I don't necessarily like these terms, folks, but you need to figure out how to be the CEO or the director. That is a big difference. You're not just a clinician who has a bunch of other people that you're paying to do work for you. So as soon as you can, and this was something I figured out, I I think relatively early on, I, I listened to a an interview with the person who started the Spanx brand. Anyway, she was talking about how she started and of course was sewing and you know cutting and sewing and doing everything on the front end and finding the models and and she said as soon as she could, she hired somebody to do the tasks that she wasn't as good at. Margaret, what you just said something really important though, which is the whole issue of the connection between cash flow and growth because as soon as you could usually means you've got enough of a cash flow margin that you can start uh, delegating or or putting that onto someone else. Do you have any insight on when to know that you're at that sweet spot to be able to move to that next level? Yeah, because that's the thing practice owners struggle with is they feel like they don't have the money to do it. And it takes a little bit of forward thinking because I don't think I had the money I wasn't thinking, great, I'm flush with cash. Now I can hire somebody else to do the billing or no, not at all. But I had to think if I take back these hours, if I'm spending 10 hours a week, that's, what is that? At $150 an hour, let's say that's $1,500 a week. If I take that time back, I now have $1,500 to pay somebody to do this work. And it's not going to cost $1,500 to get a biller. It's not going to cost $1,500 to have somebody write blog posts. So I think the, the way to get there isn't to say, wow, I'm flush with cash. It's to say, how much is my time worth? And if I can quantify my time and I can start to take some of that back, maybe I see an extra client or two, although I don't recommend that for people, quite frankly. But you think about How much money then can you afford to spend? You just said something really critical that once people free up time, there is that theory that that you'll fill whatever allotted time you have with something. And so that's really important, Margo, that when you do free up that time, don't fill it with the same things that you've already been doing. That's right. Use that time to be able to plan for the future. That's really smart. Yeah. And that's exactly what I hear practice owners doing all the time. They'll say, okay, well, now I'm I'm not doing the billing, so that frees up three, four hours a week. I'm not calling Blue Cross. I'm going to take on another client or two. 
No, don't do that. Don't take on another client. The other reason that's really smart, Margot, is that if you're filling that time with another client, you are limited to how much money you can make by how many hours there are in the day that you have. Whereas if you take that time to do planning, and this goes to another, the second uh, business growth thing that you talked about, which is diversifying your sources of revenue. So yeah, talk about that. Because if you're using the time rather to think of how do you diversify and build your sources of revenue, that's another avenue toward growth. It's absolutely another avenue towards growth. And I would say it's a critical avenue because again, as practice owners, we tend to think I'm going to have more therapists do therapy. And what ends up being the walls around that plan? Well, I only have so many offices or I only have so many hours a week for supervision or I only have so many referrals or, or, or. So as we learned with the pandemic, right? Nobody's going to be shocked by this. Things happen that we have no control over and we didn't anticipate. And they come upon us very quickly. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? <laughs> I mean, we discovered, thank goodness, therapy was one of these things that we could convert. I remember that chilled, cold-blooded feeling of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I can't go to work on Monday. What am I going to do? Well, thank goodness, over the weekend, we figured that out pretty quickly, but a lot of folks you know, can't necessarily do that. But so here's the takeaway. We can't even as therapists in therapy practices have one single source of revenue and sleep, I'd say really well at night or grow, right? Because therapy practices are hard to scale. I have scaled many, many times. We have 65 therapists at this point. We started as just me. So we have been small, which we'll talk about at some point. We've been small, we've been medium, and now we're large. And I will tell you, it. I would love to say, my gosh, yes, boy, by the time you triple and quadruple your practice, you're going to be rolling in the cash, folks, because most practice owners, in addition to wanting to give good care, we want to make lots of passive income, right? That That would be lovely. The truth of the matter is it is very hard to scale a practice. Why? I mean, practice owners, you get this. You need more hours for billing. You need more marketing. You need more infrastructure to make sure that the practice can run. So that makes it difficult to really scale. So how do you scale or what can you do to pandemic proof, if you will, your practice? We've done a few things. Um, Chris, you helped us put together the CEU online school. We're now record, we have a CEU license. We always did webinars, or not webinars, now we're doing webinars. We always did networking events. Now we do a monthly webinar. Those are some things that, that are behind a paywall that people can pay for to get their CEUs and their official CEUs. We have a CEU license. I do parent coaching frequently. So that's something else that's separate from the insurance that we, we're a very insurance friendly practice, but it's separate from the insurance driven nature of our practice. We give talks, we do consulting, writing. Thank you, Deanna. We just had another article published with mm -hmm. entrepreneur.com. You've been assisting me with the book that I've been writing. So there are other ways that we need to be thinking about generating revenue. So scaling is in part hiring more therapists, but it's also making sure that you have other ways to generate income as well. I think for a lot of folks, that's not a new concept, but they get stuck because they're working in the business. They don't have time to develop these pieces. I think too, people are used to doing business a certain way. And as you scale, 
you're doing business differently because in the past, you've talked a lot about your company culture and how important that is. So as you scale and bring on more clinicians, that still is more time for you because you'll want to spend the time. And that's another good point of growth is how important it is to care for people. You can't just hire them and be like, great, they're fabulous clinicians. That's why you hire them. But it doesn't quite work that way, does it? As far as just hire and go, you've had to increase how you care for people. Well, I've had to increase how I care for people. And I've had to be incredibly intentional about the people that I put in key positions. So Jim Collins, again, great reference. If you haven't read Good to Great, please consider it or listen to it. He talks about having the right people in the right seats on the bus. So if I can't be everywhere all the time now, and we're not even in person at the moment, whomever it is that's interacting with the clients, of course, is really important. But I think it's equally important, if not more, to consider who's interacting with the therapists, right? I think of myself, our org chart isn't me at the top and everybody raining down from me. It's inverted, more like a tree. So I'm at the bottom supporting the next layer, which is supporting the next layer so that they can support their clients. I really prefer that way of thinking about it, especially in a therapy practice. So the things that we need to be thinking about, folks, you know, I'm sure you all see this on listservs as well, is therapists are hiring on new staff and those staff very quickly are jumping ship and going and setting up their own shop. And I think in, in our business, almost more than any other that I can think of, no, that's not true. The, the IT world is like this. I have a, co- a friend who is in a professional group with me and, and she's, she has people jumping you know, off all the time going to another company or to start their own thing. And therapists can certainly do that. So it feels imperative to me that we as practice owners are always aware of who is taking care of the therapists and how. I give our therapists a lot of leeway. It's a really difficult job, and I want people to feel supported. I want them to feel a sense of community. I want them to feel like they have all of the resources they need so that they can just do their best work. That, for me, has worked really, really well. It's interesting because you mentioned entrepreneur just a minute ago. Your recent article was on why mental health is so important right now and why companies need to have a program for mental health. But your first article was, wait, they only want me. And your first article was about how you start to realize that someone may do things differently than you, but they'll still do it really well. Was Mm -hmm. that an important realization for you as far as even just an early moment of of being able to grow your practice. Oh, it was huge. It was huge. And so we have people on our team now, you know, our number one ethic, our number one, I, I don't know, I think this just ranks up there at the top is treat each other well, always. And I had one of my staff had been kind of snarky with someone on a particular day. And I talked to them about it and said that is not, it's just not okay. You don't get to talk to anybody on our team that way. You wouldn't want somebody, you know, kind of like that sort of conversation. And she said, well, don't I get to have a bad day? And I said, no, not like that. Of course you get to have a bad day. We all have bad days, but you don't get to take it out on other people. So it's very intentional 
about how are we going to care for each other? How am I going to make sure people have the kind of support that they need? So when I'm hiring, I don't want people who are just efficient. I want people who take care of people well. Mm-hmm. So these are great tips for practice owners. You've talked about how to outsource and when to know what you can outsource and how to do that. Also, the importance of care throughout across your organization, caring for people. One other question, just to revisit for a minute, you've talked about growth and scale. And you once said it's easy to grow, but hard to scale. What do you mean by that? Well, pretty much you can add, if you can hire good people, and of course, we only want to hire good people, we can add therapists. That's not as hard, quite frankly. But every time you grow, you need to make sure you have the support for that team. So that might include if you have, if you go from five therapists to six or seven, you can probably keep your same infrastructure. Once you're at 10, you might need extra hours of billing. You might need an extra intake person. You might need someone else who can help you out with credentialing. There are other things that you need people all of a sudden to help with. And there's probably a point in your growth where you went from being able to verbally communicate your policies and procedures where you really actually had to put things in place so that you had even things in writing so that people knew what to expect and what it was like to work here. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I there are a lot of things that people would find in a more typical business culture that I resisted because it didn't feel people oriented to me. It didn't feel person oriented or person centered. But what ends up happening then is you're not communicating effectively with people because you can't be there all the time to answer people's questions. So yes, we have, especially in the last couple of years, done a lot of documenting of procedures and people really appreciate it. The other thing, Deanna, is I was probably an under communicator because I was over caretaking, right? Go figure, a therapist over caretaking, huh? But what I was doing is I was thinking, they come they come to work with me because they want me to take care of all of that garbage that they don't want to take care of. So I'm going to take care of it. And they don't even need to think about it. Well, guess what? People do want to think about it. They want to know. And this is the other thing, folks, that I would say, I mean, we were talking about the top three. Here's the other thing. Communicate with people about why you're doing what you're doing. Make sure you really communicate with your team. The number one question that teams seem to be asking right now is why? Why are we growing? Or no, why are you growing? It's not why are we growing? Why are you doing this? And the question, I mean, always answer that question, by the way. There is another book called Start With Why. And we need to be able to answer that question. If you can't answer that for your team, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble for yourself and you're going to be in trouble, quite frankly, with them because most people don't like change. And when things are changing, if if they don't seem to understand why we're doing it or we're not clear why we're doing it, it seems like it's just for the sake of doing it. And the question that they're really curious about, this is something I've discovered, when people are saying, well, why are you doing it? Number one, they want to make sure I'm not just getting greedy. So I frequently will have the, here's the finances of practice, right? And the finances of practice goes like this. 
it costs more to do business every year, right? Rent goes up, all expenses go up, but insurance reimbursement stays the same or it goes down. So the only way you can really grow is you have to hire on more people, but then you hire on more people and you have to pay for more support. So I make sure now that I have that conversation with people so that they understand no, we are not growing simply so that I can have a you know yacht somewhere. I assure you, I don't. <laughs> I'm doing fine, but I don't have a yacht somewhere. What people want to understand is, how is this going to affect them? Right? We've had this conversation. How is it going to affect them? So the way it's going to affect them is X, Y, and Z. These are some ways I think it might affect you. But what our team wanted to know is, are we going to lose the intimacy as we grow? We don't have to. Things are going to change, but you don't have to lose the connection. You just have to be very intentional about how do you maintain it. Mm -hmm. The other thing I've noticed with you is on the flip side of that, what does it mean for me? What am I losing? I've also noticed that as you grow, there's an opportunity for what do I gain? Because all of a sudden now people see what you're doing, they get excited and they think, oh, you know, I like doing outreach. Can I do that? You know, people may see opportunities. I like speaking. Can I do that? You know, I think you'll find people who also then see where you're going, see your vision and want to be able to support it because it also means professional growth opportunities for them. Yeah, 100%. And people, some therapists like to do supervision. So we've had people who now get to supervise and we can afford to pay them to supervise. Now we can also have a whole host of benefits that we really genuinely can afford for people to have in terms of health insurance and retirement and PTO and training and all of those things that are really important, I think, for anybody who wants to settle into a job for a while. I think what's most exciting about everything that you're talking about, Margot, that as a licensed clinical psychologist with all of your mental health training, that as you've grown the business, it's also that ability to be able to put on your, your business hat and be a phenomenal business leader. And that's part of that transition of growth. I think for people to grow a practice, you've got to realize it is a business and all the things that go along with that. But yeah. really fantastic. I think some really good gems here to help people that are on the road to growth. Wonderful. Well, thanks. Thanks for those kind words, Deanne. I can always count on you for some, some kind thoughts. Bottom line, if we had to summarize these three, I would say number one, as soon as you can, hire somebody to do the tasks that you're maybe not an expert at, and maybe they can do a little bit better so it frees up your time. Think ahead. Think about your time as money. Number two, therapy practices can grow, but they are difficult to scale. So don't just simply have one revenue stream and plan for the fact that growth is great. And yes, of course, there is some more profit, but also keep in mind, you're going to need more infrastructure. So be very planful. Work with numbers. Work with someone who can help you run the numbers, which Chris does beautifully for us as well. And also that therapists, as we know, are people who can go out on their own really easily. Make sure that as you are hiring people that you really connect with them or, and, or I would say, and you have in your organization, other people who are really good at connecting with your team to make sure that they feel supported. So as always, I appreciate the both of you a lot. And I 
feel like, yes, I want to say that to the two of you and take care of the two of you, just like everybody else on our team. So thank you both for being here. Thanks for everyone for listening. We'll look forward to having you with us next time. Be well. You've been listening to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast with Dr. Margot Jaco. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe so you don't miss an upcoming episode and head on over to the mentalhealthbusinessmentor.com website for resources and additional information. Thanks so much for listening and be well.